What is going on, everybody? Hopefully, you guys are all doing well out there. It's been a while, been maybe about a month, but uh, that's nothing new for this program. Uh, Since we've been around for, I don't know, four or five years now, maybe longer than that, I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I actually got married. Like, major things happened to me, like, since we've last been on the program. I got married, I moved. Um, and that, that's about it. Um, uh, so some, some major life changes. I don't think you guys tuned in to, uh, listen to, uh, you know, my wedding stories and, and tales from that night. You're, you're here for sports cards. So we'll get right to that. And I'll be honest with you, uh, for obvious reasons, I haven't necessarily been, uh, you know, that tuned in to the sports card world. It's not like I know everything that's happening. However, I don't think a whole heck of a lot of sets and, and things like that have come out and, and things of that nature. So uh, not that we are covering uh, the latest releases and all those exciting things on today's show, but we're going to dip back a couple uh, weeks ago. The Industry Summit happened and, uh, you know, some interesting things happened there. And um, so we'll talk about that. And. That's about it. I don't really, again, I don't really, that was like the last time I actually tuned into the sports card world. I've been looking a little bit at uh, Tops MLS. This is not like I'm trying to, you know, sell you on buying this product, but uh, Tops MLS, I was involved with a conference call with them a little while back, like last year, uh, about MLS. And so the MLS 2014 set came out. So it was kind of interesting uh, looking at that. And actually, one of the guests on the show um, prior to this, it might be the show before this or two shows ago, I can't remember. Um, but at that, Dan Rowe on Twitter uh, designed and kind of designed and wrote the back of one of the cards that's in that set uh so i'll let you figure uh figure that one out um but i thought that was kind of cool so i've been checking out that i haven't bought any of it or whatever i'm um, just looking at the cards online and things like that and then um check out my card the other thing i've kind of been uh you know checking in in and on is check out my cards um has been uh moving away from they were using uh data from Beckett, which made it kind of easy for them uh, because they kind of, you know, they were able to tap into a rather large database to kind of identify cards and, and make it easy for you to search for them on the site. Well, all that went away and they've been running these challenges and things of that nature. Um, and challenges is probably a good word for them or contests. I don't know what you want to call it, but basically uh, you could call it something completely negative, but they basically are getting their customers uh to do the data for them and by, you know, dangling some incentives out there. Um, I think even they were paying you for every thousand points you did uh, last week or something like that. They were giving you a dollar. I think I got to a dollar. So I have like a dollar that I can spend. I don't know if that, when that it clears your account, I'll be sure to be on there right away when that happens. But I've been following that. And I think uh, that's been going, 
I, you know, you know, I, I think the site was down for a couple of days. So I think my sales probably took a hit. Not that they've been, they've been, uh, extraordinary for the last, for the last couple of months. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll talk about, uh, that's, that's what I talk about and baseball started. So, I mean, a lot has happened since we've last had a, a podcast. So baseball season started. I've been listening. Uh, last night I was able to watch the Giants, uh, San Francisco Giants on TV. They were on like ESPN, um, but I've been listening to all the games on the radio. I've been playing fan. I'm in two fantasy baseball leagues. Um, and I think both of them list or at least one of them listens to the show. And so that's kind of cool playing fan. I wasn't able, most of the drafts were like, I was either at my engagement dinner. Or I was like getting married. So I couldn't, uh, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to like start my marriage off where at the engagement dinner, I had my phone out and I was, you know, trying to get Yasiel Puig in the second round, if that would be like a really good idea. So I decided to not do that. And I actually auto draft. Um, but I, you know, I, I love, I don't care if I auto draft in baseball because I think last year I turned my team over, um, you know, at least 50%, um, especially with the pitching, you know, every pitcher gets hurt or, you know, you need a a certain reliever and stuff. So I kind of like fantasy baseball. So I've been following, um, mainly the giants as a team, but I'm, you know, it's so early in the baseball season. I'm still trying to get my my bearings about me, I guess, with fantasy baseball, but I'm having fun with that. And I'm sure many of you out there are doing the same. Well, five minutes in, let's actually get to what I want to talk about. Let's talk about the industry summit. And I actually have uh, in the inside the show notes, I'll have a link to it, but I did kind of a cliff notes. This was a while back. This was March 18th. So this was a while ago. Um, but most of these come from um, Yanks Chick. Uh, I think her name is Susan at Y A N X Chick C H I K on Twitter. She was there and she was the one providing some of the more pertinent information and things of that nature. So I kind of took the took the tweets out that uh, kind of resonated with me. I guess that that is and and we'll start in day one and we'll just kind of go through this. Um, day one, nothing ever happens, and the last day, nothing ever happens. So so day one, the only cool thing that I thought happened was uh, was Brian Gray was here. This is March sixteenth, and it, it was after he post, posted kind of like a sheepish apology on Leaf's Facebook page and I think his blog on LeafTradingCards.com or whatever. And like I think he has a an area called, it's called the Gray area or something like that. And it seemed I'm not going to read his apology or bring it up here, but it seemed when I remember when I read it, it was like it seemed really like sheepish. Like it was almost like uh, Kevin Isaacson, who who if you don't know, like kind of runs and manages the industry summit. It was almost like he had like a, a a 12 gauge pointed to Brian Gray's head and was like, or he typed it out for him and was like, Brian, you got to post this on your Facebook and your Twitter accounts and your website, and then you can come. And I think he was there representing like the Benchwarmers brand. And I don't know if he ended up, you know, representing Leaf or whatever, but it did kind of throw a ring. I mean, he did end up going, but I, I didn't really hear a lot of like a splash from Brian Gray. And I think that that's all by design. Um, and so I thought that Brian Gray, I think like a couple uh, days before, a couple weeks before the when when he was kind of going off on Twitter about not being invited to the summit, one of his tweets was something like, I may not be at the summit this year, but at least I know I'm neither a pussy or a sellout. And he ended up kind of being a pussy and a sellout, in my opinion, by uh, by kind of posting this apology and not really um, 
you know, not really backing up kind of what he was saying, but whatever, you know, he, he has a different, um, you know, would I ever post a cheapest apology? Probably not. I'll just wait until I'm pretty sure Kevin Isaacs is not going to run this thing forever. I'll wait until he's out or a competing event, uh, comes into play because I don't think the numbers, that was one thing I didn't see, uh, this year at the industry summit was this was actually the first year that I haven't been a part of it in several years. And this was the first year where, um, they they didn't set some kind of attendance record or they bragged that there was this many shops and it was it was you know a record number of people and maybe it's because he turns away people that were promoting his event for free but I'll leave that for you to decide but anyways no way in hell I'll ever post some apology to some idiot Anyways, day two, Leaf, uh, Leaf did make a splash. Leaf acquires the rights to sports games, which like traded hands a little while ago too. So this is like this, the, the second, I believe the second time this, this thing is, I think it sold to Famous Fabrics and now uh, Famous Fabrics or whatever sells it to, or the ITG guy sells it to Brian Gray. Um, and it's for a heck of a lot less, you know, this is like, it acquires the rights and that's probably the best way to put it because it doesn't say bought the rights or forked over tons of money for the rights because the rights of sports Kings is worth about as much as a roll of toilet paper. But, um, you know, Hey, it's still a card set. Some people still like it. I mean, it's like one set or two sets a year. So again, not uh, particularly hard news. Um, day two still going on. Tops, here's some uh, some news from Top. Tops finally showed up on day two. Uh, Tops, this year we're having them, and they're referring to baseball players signing already during spring training and about five months ahead of the game. And it's like, I don't know if Tops just figured this out. But to me, just sitting at home, I don't know. It's not like I'm boys with professional athletes and I call them on the phone or anything, but seems to me getting them. I've been to spring training before. It seems really relaxed, you know, not just the people in the state in the stands. Everybody seems kind of relaxed, except, you know, there's some guys that are barely on the 40 man roster. They might be taking spring training seriously, but the veterans that you're trying to get signed or some of these young prospects. Sure, they have plenty of time in spring training to sign. I don't know why. And a five months out of the game, you know, not surprising. A guy is on the road, you know, you know, 15, 20 days out of the year, out of a month during a season. Oh, no wonder he doesn't have time to sign baseball cards. So I'm glad Tops, after 50 years in business, finally figured out getting guys to sign during the off season is a good idea. So glad they announced that. Tops, redemption. Our redemption site is antiquated and will merge with the regular site soon. Oh man. So Tops admitting their redemption site is antiquated and they need to merge it with their regular site. And that's that's a little slightly more con- it's not like super advanced, you know, uh work technical work but i could see how you have like a database on an old website and you're trying to maybe merge that with a different interface and you know make and make sure you don't screw any of that data up um or you know misrepresent things to the end customer who are on there checking their redemptions every day um i could see how that could be difficult could even be more difficult than actually making the cards um so uh, at least they're making an effort there. Who knows? I don't know if this has actually happened yet or not, but uh, at least they've acknowledged it. Tops. This is David Real. Not that his name matters or who he is matters. I don't have no idea who this is, but Tops David Real. This year we're going to sell significantly more hobby than retail. 
And that's because it's not selling through at retail. That's my comment. Um, If it was selling through at retail, Target would want it. Walmart would want it on the shelves. But what happens is, what do they have to do? They they play slotting fees uh, at, uh, I think that's what they're called, at Target and Walmart. You know, Target and Walmart's not putting Topps baseball cards right by the counter uh, because it sells great. They'd much rather have Bic lighters or candy or some other impulse purchase there. Uh, Tops, Panini, all these guys, they, they kind of group up with the distributor and they buy this spot in Target. And since it's not selling through, oh, they're selling less retail. And the other thing is, I don't know if this tweet is here later. I'm going to say it now. But Tops kind of said, Tops admits and I believe this, that they're a, quote, made-to-order type facility. And so the, what that means is, is they put out – Tops uh, puts out pre-orders for their products uh, way in advance, like, you know, six, seven, eight months in advance. Like, you, you can pre-order, you know, Tops Series 2 baseball and Tops Chrome baseball that doesn't come out until, you know, October already. Um, you can pre-order it. And so they gauge pre-orders, so they get uh, orders from distributors and things like that. And then they make the product to order. And um, they, they've they admitted that they've made less – they're going to make less product. They're going to make um, – you know, they made less a Top Series 2. They made less of Top's Heritage. And that means it's it's selling less. And so Top's is, is selling less cards and, and making certainly less money, uh, less revenue. Or they might be making more profit by selling less. Who knows? Sometimes that works out. Um, but they're selling less, and that means demand. That demand has to be low. It's not selling at retail right now. We know that, um, and it's not selling at hobby because the pre-orders are down, and they're making less of it. So it could be good for you as a collector in the long run. If you're kind of in this hobby for the long run, you know th- that stuff might end up helping you out um, because making less product in the long run. When maybe if maybe if sports cards cycles back in to kind of a popularity stage, well, some of the more limited sets might be worth a little bit more. But uh, maybe not. Who knows? Tops new for 2014 will be Tops Tech, which wasn't that popular back. Uh, T E K is Tops Tech. Uh, for those of you that aren't as old as me, and I'm not really that old, but I remember Tops Tech, and it wasn't that popular. Um, they're bringing that back, although it might be more popular now in this day of age. Um, who knows? Um, Stadium Club's coming back. Uh, that was relatively popular. That was kind of its own standalone brand, kind of like Bowman is um, and some other brands at Topps House. Um, but, uh, you know, Stadium Club uh, was interesting. You know, they had the, the first day issue cards. They had the full bleed uh, photography they were kind of known for. They had um, those super team cards that were pretty neat. Um, so we'll see if they bring back some of that, um, some of the stuff from there. And Topps Dynasty a high-end set like no other. So we've got another high-end Topps Dynasty. They'll have, you know, the same the same 10 athletes that they have. You know, they have David Ortiz signing, and they have David Wright signs for Topps, it seems like, all the time, or he was. Um, and some of these other guys that Topps can get to sign. It'll have them, you know, number 10 or 1 or whatever, and some other stuff. But apparently a high-end set, so save your pennies for that. Tops average collector is older than we'd like. Engage kids at play sixty, which is like the NFL's kind of ad campaign, uh, kind of good good service kind of thing. Shows that they they trying to do something good. Play sixty. Uh, they're going to do ads on TV for BB 
I think that's Bowman Baseball, Nickelodeon, CN. I think that's Cartoon Network and Disney. And man, there's no way to burn through cash faster than doing TV ads. Um, and there's one. It's it's unless you're doing like an infomercial. It's extremely difficult to measure how well a TV ad does. And, and in the hands of an amateur, which I could imagine, you know, Tops doesn't have some major, you know, marketing guru in there doing these ad buys. He's going to waste a lot of money on these ads. And they're very difficult to measure. Maybe they work, but who knows if it was the ad or something else or some player in the set. Maybe, maybe it's sold because there was a good player in there. Or the cards were worth something or whatever. You don't know. That's why running ads, you should only leave them to the big boys. That's why you see car ads. That's why you see ads for, you know, it's it, a lot of ads you see now on TV. That's really the network promoting another show. <laughs> and so there's really only a, a couple people, a couple businesses, not a couple, but there's only a, a certain number of businesses that can pay $10,000 for, 30, you know, a Taco Bell, uh, you know, a Pepsi, you know, that owns Taco Bell or these very, very large companies that can run ads consistently. Beer companies can run ads on at football games and, and, and phone companies like cell phone companies can run ads because they have millions and millions and millions of customers. But a company like Tops who's selling less, you know, I'm not saying that marketing and advertising is not a good idea, but to just say, oh, we're going to run some ads on Nickelodeon and all of a sudden Bowman Baseball is going to sell better. I don't know if that's a very good idea. It's not very creative. Anybody can run ads on TV if you have money. It's can you measure them and can you make them effective? That is not as easy. So, and I, you know, I would bet every amount of money they spent on the ads that Tufts is going to find that those ads weren't very effective in the long run. Although they probably won't even do that kind of analysis. So, moving on along from Tufts, Beckett said, so along with buying cards from a website, like on Beckett's website, a collector can also pick the option of picking up the cards at a physical shop, no shipping charges. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It's a Beckett business solution service. However, I think it costs like, I think the starting price for, for it is somewhere in that five, three, five hundred $500 range a month. And so there's just, again, like there's only GM and, and Budweiser and AT&T and, and Verizon and DirecTV can, can afford, and new movies coming out can really afford uh, to put ads on TV. Uh, there's a very, very small select few of people that can afford to pay four or 500 or need to pay four or $500 a month to sell some baseball cards because to, you, you would need a crap ton of baseball cards, basically to make that profitable. So it's a good idea. Um, but that nevertheless, it's, it's a good idea. You can, you know, this direct uh, getting people into the card shop, um, to pick up cards is a pretty cool idea. And, um, you know, I don't know if people use it or if there'll be enough sellers of this Beckett business solution to use it, but might be something that you're interested out there. BB, I thought this was a really strange, uh, comment from Beckett. There is a need for employees, one way, one of the ways we failed is by having one or two employees at shops. And this is just ridiculous. Anybody that's ever owned a card shop or worked at a card shop, I mean, I worked at a card shop and it was like on the weekend and it was just me there because the guy, you know, he wanted a day off, but he still wanted to be open on the weekend. Um, and I owned one. It, you know, I never had employees. It was either me 
Or if I couldn't be there, then I paid somebody. But you're never going to have two people there, three people. Why would you need that? You don't even need more than five, 600 square feet to have an effective card shop. I don't know why you would need two people there uh, getting paid. So to just drive prices up even more. So that was kind of, you know, a comment out of left field and shows that they're not, they're not really in tuned. If you're saying, oh, card shops, one of the reasons why they failed is because they haven't had employees. That would have made them fail even sooner because they would have had even more overhead. So it just shows you people in this business, they're just sometimes just, I don't know if that was a misquote or what, but uh, I don't know. Just seems a little clueless to me. Larry, this is a quote from some guy named Larry. I think he is some uh, licensed guy, you know, and these guys are just, this is a family show, but you know, these guys that work for the NHL and the MLB, yeah, it seems kind of cool, but trust me, not, not the coolest job in the world. This guy, Larry, after a due diligence process, we did what we needed to do. That was best for the industry and UD exclusive was the way to do. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly how he said it, um, but I basically said after our due diligence process and due diligence, I have here where due diligence equals who offered the most guarantee money. And, and that's exactly what happened. The, these any You think the NHL cares about baseball cards and did a bunch of quote due diligence into Panini and did a bunch of due diligence into Upper Deck and then figured out, I mean, let, let's be real. If you did due diligence into either of these companies, you wouldn't pick UD. Upper Deck is like in is is going to be uh, allocated or going to be sold or whatever you want to say. They're going to be sold once the wife of Richard McWilliams kind of gets out of her little tax deal that she has going on. Once that kind of wraps up, you, you better believe she doesn't want to sit there and own some baseball card company that arguably probably doesn't make any money or makes very little money and has to front a tremendous amount just to be in business and who has missed payments. Even when McWilliam was alive, they missed payments and did counterfeit cards and stuff like that. And it's just not a business. I, I, I can almost guarantee you she doesn't want to be in. So she'll get rid of it. Once her little situation kind of wraps up and who knows how long that'll take. So due diligence equals guaranteed money. And if you know, if you don't know anything about uh, the way licenses work, essentially, yes, uh, the leaves are paid a royalty for every sale, for every hundred dollar box of tops Bowman platinum that is sold. The MLB gets, let's the MLB and its players, let's say 20%. So $20, boom, right there. Every sale just done. And it's not really every sale. It's every box that's basically made because um, they sell it right into distributors. And that's actually a higher percentage. So they pay like 22%, 23%, maybe more than that. It might be a little higher than that. But there's also guarantee money. <laughs> you know, if you thought that, you know, being the NFL is great. Somebody, you just give some logos and some, some right quote rights to make some cardboard with some photos on it. And we get 20% of the sales. Cool. We don't have to do anything. 
All we have to do is say, hey, yeah, you can do it. And then we get 20%. Sounds like a great deal, right? Yeah, and that's that's why all these guys that own NFL teams and, and MLB teams are rich as heck. This is like a side business. Nobody owns, I mean, few people. I mean, there's a few people where the NFL team is like kind of their revenue and kind of their money. Um, most of these guys, this is like a side thing for them. So it shows you how greedy and how how savvy they are. At getting into these really easy money, this is what happens. This is why you always, you know, people that want to work hard and grind and and but break their back for ten hours a day, they're not that. You know, God, there's guys out there. These these guys out there running these NFL teams, they know that the easy money is where it's at. Screw working ten hours a day. Just find some idiot that wants to make baseball cards, and he'll pay you twenty percent. Well, on top of that, there's a guarantee. So they negotiate inside the contract a guarantee. Oh, upper deck, you're going to guarantee. Not only are you going to pay us 20%, you're going to guarantee that there's going to be a million dollars or $2 million or $3 million or however many millions of dollars it's going to be. And it's over a million dollars usually. I don't know about how the NHL works, but for the bigger leagues, it's at least a million dollars. You're going to guarantee a million dollars. Whether you sell anything or not, you're going to guarantee it. And so this due diligence process was whoever offered the most guarantee. And Panini, this is just showing, again, I think I went over this on a show a while back. This was not NHL's decision. This was not Upper Deck's decision to get the exclusive license. This was Panini's decision to say, oh, no, we're not going to guarantee some ridiculous amount. And Upper Deck just happened to be stupid enough to probably guarantee a little bit more. So that's what happened. Larry, same lame Larry from the NHL or wherever. The things we felt with an exclusive outweighed those aspects. <laughs> bringing down number of brands, bringing a 99 cent brand back. And so that's a bunch of BS too, because the NBA said the exact same thing in, in like 2008, when I th- it was 08 or 09, I think it was that season of basketball where Panini got its first exclusive NBA license. And the NBA said the exact same thing. Oh, we want to bring kids back with this adrenaline card and we want to bring the, the low dollar price and we want to reduce the number of brands. Well, the, I think they started at 15 or, or something like that. And it's gone to 17. It's gone to 20, 22. This year, it's going to be even more brand. You thought there was a lot of brands last year at basketball. They got tacked on at the end, like Signatures, Immaculate, intrigue uh flawless there was all these different brands that got thrown out right at the end exact same thing's gonna happen this year because they they can make even more products so don't believe that yeah there'll probably be a few less brands this year in a 99 cent pack but wait until that guarantee uh isn't being hit then it's like oh we better come out with this ten thousand dollar product so we can hit our guarantee real quick so the nhl pa so the NHL Players Association is running a promo, putting up $75,000 to a card shop owner who provides a plan on how to get kids in and collect hockey cards. So basically, the NHL is asking a million-dollar question, and they're only giving you 75000 which I think is too much. So a card shop owner, now nah, they don't want to do this. It just shows you. This proves my point. The NHL... PA, even this guy, Larry, they don't want to do any work. They don't want to do anything. Oh, but we have 75,000 in our budget because of these players rake in the cash. So we'll spend some of their, really the player's money. Yeah, we'll let some card shop owner find out how to get kids to collect hockey cards. 
you know, put, put Wayne Gretzky's in every pack or something like that. That's my idea. Just put a Wayne Gretzky autograph card in every pack. Then everybody will be collecting hockey cards. Panini is still supposed to do NHL stickers. Uh, so apparently, I don't know if this is fact or if this is still a rumor or what, or if this has been squashed, but this is because the stickers make money and period. And this would be a wise plan by Panini in every sport is negotiate. What I would try to do is screw, you know, negotiating these exclusive cardboard manufacturer of the NBA and the NHL. F that. I don't want to do that. I'd want to be the exclusive sticker maker because the stickers are where the money are at. And, and Panini's, uh, Panini's willing to not, not, you know, pay up a bunch of money to make cardboard, but then, oh, wait, but we still want to make these stickers. Can we negotiate that? And then I was like, yeah, cool. You can still make stickers. Just shows you what makes money and what doesn't. And finally, closing out that day, that was day two, the golden employee, which I think is like a auction house or something. Uh, <laughs> golden employee. This is like a, a brown nosing employee right here. My boss wants to be the Jeff Bezos of the industry. And Jeff Bezos is the CEO of Amazon, uh, i.e. putting money back into the company. And so, you know, Amazon doesn't make any money. Amazon doesn't, well, let me rephrase that. Amazon does make a lot of revenue, billions of dollars, in fact, hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, but no profit. Profit is just minuscule. Profit is like not even a word they discuss at Amazon for like a decade. Jeff Bezos certainly has gotten rich. He just bought some newspaper company a while back on his own. So he's certainly made a lot of money, but his company doesn't make a lot of money. Yeah, shareholders made a lot of money. If you invested in Amazon a long time ago when they just sold books and now that they sell everything, you probably made a lot of money too. So, you know, can't really argue with the guy's uh, premise, but being the Jeff Bezos of the industry, that's a lot of smoke, blowing smoke uh, up, up you know what. Penny. Come in, makes an appearance, day three. They're adding flawless hockey to each national ch- They first announced that they were uh, adding a flawless hockey card to each national treasure's box as a way to say thanks. And then they came back later in the summit and said, no thanks. Uh, I think it was like one per case or less than that. So you spend the $500 box of trading cards and they don't even want to say thank you. That's Panini. They said they'll be doing flawless football but not at the same price point. And I thought with, man, with Johnny Manziel and all these other guys, you could charge, you know, $1,600 might be a little low. You could charge 16,000. So we'll see if they go lower or higher. I don't know if that's still in question or not, but uh, the flawless football is coming this year for all you high rollers. Panini colors galore and prism lower box price point with still two autos in every box. So, you know, Prism going to a cheaper price, same hit value, but they're going to load it up with some some colors and some Prisms and stuff like that. And so, interesting, you know, lower price. I, I What I would like to see them do is a jumbo box with the same kind of value add, you know, maybe add even more value to a jumbo box. Um, so we'll see if they do that. 
Oh my God, Panini! Finally, they've done this. I think for those that have listened to the show for, again, I don't exactly remember how long we've been doing the show. Uh, four or five years might be longer than that. I can't remember, but we're on show number. This is one forty nine. So we've done one hundred and fifty of them, basically. Um, NBA rookie draft exchange cards. This is like a no brainer. They should be doing this every year. They, and this is not even my idea. This is something that Topps Finest did. I remember it, it was in other products. Uh, Stadium Club, I think, even did this. Topps really did this uh, more than anybody else. But I mean, Upper Deck was known for it way back. I don't know if it was in the year before, though, with Shaq. It was like just inserted in that product for whatever reason, uh, licensing reason. But um, essentially, you're going to get. A draft exchange card numbered one to twenty-five, and you will get the player drafted in that slot. However, it says that, but there's these European players that are drafted. So I don't know if this that is a hundred percent correct, or if this was you know if Panini didn't really think about it that much. But you know, even in the first round, one through twenty-five, sometimes you have these European players that are drafted and then sent overseas. I don't believe they can make cards of those guys. And I don't think, it, you know, they're not in the NBA. Why would they be in an NBA set, you know? Uh, so you might find that it overlaps a little bit. You might get the, you know, 12th redemption, but you end up, because there was a European player or two or four, I say European, you know, there's players coming from all over the place. But um, if there was a player drafted from another country um, before that, you might bump up or bump down, however that works. So I just make you aware of that. But I think that's a good idea. I mean, next year's NBA draft is, is supposed to be really hot. This year is, you know, really does suck. I mean, Victor Oladipo is a solid player. Michael Carter-Williams, I mean, let's be real. Philly has lost 30 games in a row. If Michael Carter-Williams was on any other team, he'd be playing about 20 minutes a game, not like 30 and getting to jack up 30 shots and shooting. He shoots like 40%, not even that. The guy's not, the guy's a decent defender. He's more, he reminds me more of like Tayshaun Prince. Uh, is what he could, and nobody's running out there jumping over each other to get Tayshaun Prince cards anymore. Uh, so, uh, but Old Depot looks like a solid player. Uh, Tony Roten, actually, uh, Michael Cart Williams' teammate, actually, I don't think he's a rookie this year, but uh, he's a solid player. If he got more, he should be the one getting 30 minutes. Um, but, anyways. Um, very interesting things came from Panini and this kind of Panini's announcement kind of, uh, really like solidified my idea that they were the ones ultimately behind not getting Brian Gray to come, trying to get my brother to not come, trying to get anybody that kind of would have shed some negative light or kind of really tell exactly what's actually going on there, uh, to not show up. Um, because Panini wanted to steal the show, so to speak. They wanted, you know, they didn't want Brian Gray there because he was the only one that g- actually gave away something to everybody. You know, Upper Deck gave you crap, basically. Tops, you had to, you know, get got a bowling shirt and you had to be in kind of their little boys club to get anything. So Panini gives everybody a black box and kind of everybody, oh, that, you know, that pays for their plane ticket or, the, you know, certainly a couple nights. It could pay for like a week at the Orleans. I mean, that place is a dump. Uh, but... You know, Panini, I think they wanted to steal the show. And I don't think they had to go. I didn't think they had to kick anybody out. They they had some interesting ideas and they had some innovative things. First thing uh, that I don't think anybody argues with is a great idea is on the back of kind of higher end uh, patch cards and, and higher end trading cards, there's going to be a QR code where you're going to be able to scan that in some kind of app or whatever. 
and Panini will have a, a database, a photo of this card. They partner with Kodak, which if you know anything about Kodak, they, they're not uh, particularly well off at the moment either. But uh, they partner with Kodak to make this QR code. And Kodak certainly knows a lot about it. Regardless of whether they make money or not, they know a lot about photos, taking photos. So there's going to be this QR code. You're going to be able to scan that. You're going to be able to check to see if your patch, if the patch is real or not or whatever. Um, so you can't take a plain jersey card and, and make it a, a patch or whatever. It's going to be very interesting. And uh, so in other words, Panini is creating a high-end patch database for sports cards i think that's a great idea and i hope everybody in the business copies them oh you know i hope panini what panini should do is license this they've probably invested some time and some money kind of creating this license it to upper deck license it to top charge them money for every time they use it that would be the smart that would be the business model i don't think they'll do that they'll just let tops create their own system and then they don't get any money from it and tops might do a better job at it or upper deck does a better job at it who knows but i thought that was kind of interesting the other, even more interesting, I think, you know, that's interesting. It's been done kind of on smaller scales um, by other companies. I think Lee's been doing it for years and other companies used to do it back, um, I think, even further back. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I think that's kind of cool. Um, certainly not very innovative, but Panini announced Panini Rewards that will replace redemption cards moving forwards. And this is relatively innovative, certainly more innovative than group breaking. Um, reward card packs. Um, you're going to be able to use your iOS or Android or like a web app to kind of redeem that you're going to get these points. So you're going to open up a pack of cards instead of being a redemption and there's going to be a point value. They're going to be like 10 points on a card or whatever. And I think it, it varies based on the quality of the product. So if you're opening national treasures, the, the card might be 500 points or I don't know if this is exactly how this works. This is how I'm interpreting it because uh, Panini's only released the initial blog on this and have not really followed up with a whole, at least as far as I know, a whole lot of color written web um, about this. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, reading between the lines here, but you're going to be able to register this card. You're going to be able to go on to Panini, just like a redemption card, instead of it being for a certain player. Now it's for points. And so I have this point value now, and I can redeem this for something of minor value. If, you know, I open, if I only have a few points, I can get, you know, something that's probably not that cool, or I can save them up. I can either buy them off other collectors or I can, you know, wait to buy more product and get more of them and I can build them up and maybe get something a little nicer, a little more rare card or a better player or something like that. So um, rather than a redemption for a specific player, you're going to get a reward point. So you're going to be able to pick the card you want. I think this is a good idea. I think um, giving collectors the choice is a good idea. Now, um, why is this so important for Panini? Why is this a good idea for Panini? Um, I'll, I'll, I have two different views on this, or I have multiple views on this. First of all, I, I have not seen this play out. I want to wait. It's supposed to debut around score football. And so who knows when that is, you know, I, I'm sure there's a release date on score and I could go find it right now, but I don't feel like it. Um, but they'll just, if this isn't ready, they'll just delay score football. Um, chances are that's what they'll do. But anyways, um, so this is going to de- debut then. And, and I, I, again, want to wait until I see how collectors kind of react to this, how collectors could be really engaged by this and could pay a lot for these points, especially early on. People could be – I could see collectors being very excited and wanting to accumulate and amass as many points as they can, especially if Panini makes, makes it uh, – incentivizes that quite a, quite a bit. 
by by offering cards at, at high point values. Um, I think it's great for Panini. I'll start off with there. For a company, if whoever thought of this, if I was sitting, you know, you know, the the fat cat that owns Panini, who's, you know, probably eating maybe a Panini sandwich, some beautiful boulevard in Italy, he was probably sitting there one day and his phone rang or some secretary came in and said, you got a phone call from some guy in the U.S. claims he works for you. And he said, oh, OK, yeah, I do have business in U.S. I, I answer phone and he answered the phone and so he said, hey, instead of, you know, why are we promising this Tony Roten card from gold standard 2012, 2013, numbered out of 50? And it has to be this certain card in this certain set. And it has to be redeemed and signed by Tony Roten. Why don't we not promise him any of that? Why don't we just promise him some points? And the fat cat from Italy sat back and said, points, that's an amazing idea. I love that idea. What if Tony Roten doesn't sign? What if we can't make that card? What if vendor goes out of business? Now we just need points. Great idea. Do it. Click. And he took a couple puffs off his cigar and said, man, I'm going to make more money in U.S. And I guarantee you, Panini will make more money off this. This is a great idea for Panini, especially if, if they can figure out a way to get collectors engaged in this. Because like I said, instead of prom- now I'm instead of promising somebody a Dirk Nowitzki autograph from, you know, totally certified basketball, you know, numbered a certain number and in a certain jersey. And it has to be on card because every other card in the set is on card and it has to have a jersey piece, which we may or not have. Said all that, just offer up some points. And then whoever does, you do get to sign. Maybe Dirk ends up signing. Maybe he doesn't. Well, we'll just, oh, we have a relationship with Kobe and Blake Griffin. Well, we'll put some of that up. Oh, we got uh, Andrew Luck as a relationship. We'll put him up or KD. So I think it's a great idea for Panini. I mean, great idea. Now, instead of promising certain things, I don't. I can probably fire half my people because that, there's half my business right there probably handling that mess. Not just, oh, I pulled a, a Kevin Durant autograph and now I want to know when, when it's going to come in and I email you and, and we kind of go and do the, do the redemption dance with you at Panini or Tops or wherever. You, but there's somebody at Panini who has to, go, first of all, design that card, make sure it's designed. He needs to send it to Kevin Durant or they need to meet Kevin Durant somewhere. He need, Kevin Durant needs to sign those cards and send them back or Kevin Durant needs to meet with somebody. Those specific cards need to be signed. Now we need to bring those cards back. Now we need to look inside of our account and say, oh, this person's waiting for that card, this person, this person, and send those out to certain people. It's a nightmare. That We're talking a day's work. Just one player, one set, one card. That's like a day's labor. And it, at even cheap rates at $10 an hour, you're looking at 70, 80 bucks a day per guy. Now I just promise you points and whoever signs, signs and you know, who cares? Great move by Panini. Great, great move. What a great move. Now you don't have to promise certain players. If these points are worth something, Chances are they'll have a value. Now I'm going to switch to the collector. Now I'm going to talk to more about you guys. And I could see some some ways this could be. The first thing is if you ever, I don't open any hobby boxes of Panini Basketball. One, I find spending $100, $200 like that is rather, just for me, I'd rather, you know, I have more fun buying a 
buying some stocks. I'll put $150, $200 on a company, uh, you know, as a shot in the dark. I've, I get more excitement about that than, you know, opening a box of totally certified. But I can totally get um, those of you that are listening would, would, you know, find buying, you know, XPO at $20 a share kind of boring uh, and just would rather open boxes of totally certified. So in, in a lot of ways, it'd be more fun to open up the totally certified, be a heck of a lot more fun, be much more instant gratification. So I can see why people enjoy it. But if you've ever opened up basketball recently, and which again, I haven't, but I look online and see the cards that come out of there and watch group breaks and, and YouTube videos and stuff, and half of it's redemptions. Michael Carter Williams, a redemption. Uh, Kobe Bryant's a redemption. Kevin Durant's a redemption. Magic Johnson's a redemption. Everybody's a redemption out of there. There's hardly any cards in there. Um, so I can certainly see the the challenge if Panini is totally replacing redemption cards moving forward. Again, Kobe Bryant's not going to magically... Okay, so to get Kobe in these sets, he's not going to magically just sign cards anymore. Neither is Kevin Durant. Those guys are going to do it the once or twice a year that they already do. Or the, you know, the tough rookies. Some of these rookies, you know, it's their first year in the NBA. They probably have better things to do, literally, than sign cards. So, um, you know, why? why, all of a sudden those guys are going to sign for every set and there's not going to ever be a redemption for Kobe? No, I don't think so. So this might mean that Kobe's not in there. And the only way to get Kobe, um, you know, certain sets, I'm sure it could be an extra selling point for Panini down the road where, oh, Kobe's are live in this set. Kevin Durant's are live. You don't have to amass these redemption points and then go redeem them. But it certainly could drive down the price of some of this stuff. You know, a lot of this stuff is bought because it, you can open it up and boom, magically have $300 in your hand. And yeah, sometimes it's in the form of a redemption, but at least I have Kobe. Now it's like I open it up. Oh, I have 20 points in my hand and I need to get 10 more to even have a chance at a Kobe. So I could see, you know, if the top rookies aren't signing, if they're like, you know, some of these top players, they only sign once or twice a year um, or once and once or twice every few years. Some of these guys I'm sure do. Uh, it might be kind of hard to sell sets or it might be a much different opening experience next year. So it'll be, that'll be interesting to see. The other thing is the value of these points. I'm sure right in the beginning, I caution everybody right in the beginning, it'll be kind of new. It'll kind of be fresh. We'll see how well Panini's apps work. And that's not as easy as it, you know, that's going to be a really expensive as expensive as, as doing the, doing the redemption cards. But if you're willing to invest in it in, in over a few years, it might end up being profitable for them certainly more profitable and easier than these stupid redemption cards that they've been having to deal with. But I could see right in the beginning, I'm cautioning everybody because right in the beginning, it might be kind of hot, might be kind of new. There won't be many points out there. It'll be kind of like a hot IPO on the stock market. You know, like when, when Zynga went, went up or when Yelp or a lot of the Wix is like W I X stay away from that. That's a, that is just a disaster. But, um, you know, these companies come out with, you know, they only float 8 million shares. They only allow 8 million shares to be sold. And then the, it's called the lockup period. You know, a couple weeks go by or a month goes by. And now now insiders can sell. The CEO can sell. And Morgan Stanley, who invested a long time ago, can sell. And all these other guys can start selling. And now instead of 8 million shares on the market, there's 50 million. And so if there's not an, any increase in demand, 
the price of the shares go from 20 to 9 to 10 to 5 to sometimes zero. And while I don't anticipate the price of these Panini points going to zero, um, certainly right in the beginning, there'll be less of them. And so as more of them come onto the market, um, that it runs the risk of diluting. However, Panini could, this would, this is one of the added challenges on their parts, but it's, I think it's easier to manipulate or control. Panini can, obviously, when you redeem your points, you're kind of expiring your points. So it's not like the stock market where if there's 20 million shares, unless the company buys them back and retires them, um, they're, they're just floating out there. Um, Panini can actually buy back shares. And so they, they might push some, push some Andrew Lux or some Robert Griffin or some really cool items onto the site that causes everybody to re- redeem their points. And now, now a lot of people don't have any points or have a lot less than they used to, and they might go out and buy more. Um, so there'll be kind of this tug and pull in terms of how much points are, are, are worth. And it's it's probably going to be very similar to predicting the price of Bitcoin, especially early on. If you know anything about Bitcoin, it's gone from five dollars to a hundred to a thousand to back down to three hundred, up to six hundred to eight hundred. I mean, it's wild. If you play that game, you're you're on a roller coaster right now. And it's it's because it's it's early on, it's early adoption, early on for them. And it you know like a lot of things, it'll kind of find its range. And I can imagine over the course of this coming year, these Panini points will will eventually find a range. But I don't think it will be until, you know, December, January, February, kind of when more higher end um, sets come out. And and these points have kind of been around for a while and people have had a chance to redeem them. Um, But it'd be very interesting. You know, maybe they're worth $30 a point. Maybe they're worth $10 a point. Maybe they're worth a dollar a point. Be very interesting. Very, very interesting. And I think as a collector now, if if that point value, I think this is a good idea for a website. You could you could try to figure out, you could kind of try to track the point value. You know, when the points initially come up, maybe it's like, you know, 10 points gets you a Kobe Bryant. I don't know. I'm just assuming. But say 100 points gets you a Kobe Bryant autograph. And let's just assume a Kobe Bryant autograph. Now these hurt and kind of all that stuff. And maybe it's not a, a real special autograph. It's not numbered or real low. We'll call it 100 bucks. You know, so each point's worth a dollar. Um, it would be interesting to see the fluctuations in that. And so when you, you know, because that'll certainly go through people's minds. There's going to be a lot of people that pull these points that might not know what they are, that um, will just want to immediate, maybe case breakers certainly just want to immediately sell them on eBay, kind of in large lots or one by one. It'll be interesting to see how much they go for, you know, and maybe easier, an easier way to track the value is just monitor the ones on eBay and say, this is how much. Each point has averaged during this month. It would be a very interesting study and kind of see where it goes. Because certainly when you open up a pack and you get 30 points, maybe you just want to get rid of it. And if it's, you know, if it's worth $10 a point or $5 a point at the time, you know, boom, there's 150 bucks. Seems to me it'd be, for some people, it's better than a, rede- a redemption instead of saying, oh, yeah, here's this uh, Glenn Rice Jr. redemption card. Well, now I just get 30 points and I get my 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it might be. So it might be kind of interesting. And we'll see what happens. We'll see We'll see where it goes. I think it's going to be one of the more um, interesting things to follow uh, during this coming year. Um, and that was kind of the highlight of Panini's uh, little presentation 
at the industry summit. And I kind of spent a lot of time on that because it was kind of one of the more intriguing things that I found uh, that went on. And moving on, we'll, we'll talk about the rest of the day here and then I'm done. My voice is kind of going anyways. Panini 2013 was a mixed year. Football had a lot to do with that. And again, back on August 11th, 2013, show number 137. I told you guys, football was going to suck. I told you guys, get into your bunker, especially if you were selling and buying too. I told you, save your money. Don't, don't do anything. Don't, don't buy any of this stuff. Wait till it goes on sale. And it certainly did. Um, and uh, 13 was a mixed year and Panini obviously couldn't afford to have a mixed year. They're still around. They lost NHL, but they're still around, but a lot of people aren't. There's hobby shops that are close. Certainly group breakers aren't popping up every two days. Like they seem to have been a while back. And trust me, that will change here in a little bit. Although, I don't know if I have group or I don't know if I have this tweet on here. But um, right at the end, I think I have it on here. If, if not, I'll, I'll talk about it here at the end. About group breakers. Panini's Tim Franz. F-A-F-R-A-N-Z. I don't know this guy. Tim Franz. Has seen some YouTube videos or breaker TV that would make me want to vomit. And that was in quotes, make me want to vomit. So I guess I'm not the only one that watches some of these bumbling idiots. And forgive me if you are a fan of this show, but my brother and I kind of joke that some of these guys cater to the kind of the duck dynasty demographic. That's a show that I don't really understand. I've never even watched it. All I've seen is the promo videos to it, and it's like I I would never watch that show. Of course, there's probably a lot of shows I watch on TV that people probably think the same thing. But there seems to be a certain demographic that really finds that show entertaining. And those are the same kind of people I would think that would buy into this Breakers TV, some of these idiots on Breakers TV and YouTube. Mainly Breakers.tv. They should post their video. I don't know why. If you're breaking boxes on you, I mean, I think I make $28. I make like 28, 30 bucks a month, like real consistent. I don't post a lot of videos to YouTube anymore. I don't get a lot of product for free or anything like that. Um, so I don't post a lot of videos. Um, but I make like 30 bucks a month off that. I mean, it's not like I'm jumping up and down and paying my bills with that much money. But if you were breaking boxes every day and breaking cases, especially new stuff, uh, you can make a lot of money putting your YouTubes on video and putting them up there and putting the ads on there. Um, And a lot of these guys just put it on breakers TV and then that's it. Okay. Manufacturer guesses on the percentage of wax that moves through breakers. Top says eight, eight to 10%. UD says 10 to 15%. Panini did not guess, but I guarantee you it's right in that range. 10, 15, 20%. Okay, guys. But I bet unopened boxes to like retailers like DA to blow out considering they've gotten into this group breaking and, and other unopened box guys that are on eBay or, or card shops, it's probably down the same percentage. So it's not like the hobby has increased. Top said they were making less product. Panini said it was a mixed year. We all know Upper Deck isn't just flow, flowing product out every day and it's just the hottest stuff ever. So this stuff, just because group breakers are, are you know, making a little bit more of of percentage of the revenue it's not like the revenues have grown so i think people would be smart to analyze that a little bit more yeah pieces of this revenue are going to group breakers but we're not growing the overall pie it's just shifting it 
And anybody, I, I've been accused. Oh, why do you, why do you care about group breaking? Why do you uh, why do you say uh, you know why do you want them to clean up their act? And why you know nobody's going to care. No, group breaking so small, nobody's going to care. Guys, eight to ten percent of tops overall sales. That's millions of dollars. Ten to fifteen percent, even of upper decks sales. That's millions of dollars. Let's just put Panini at ten percent. That's millions of dollars. Add all that up, you're at a, over $100 million probably in sales. You better believe some lawyer or attorney or government or somebody would eventually care. I'm not saying it's going to be tomorrow. I'm not saying it's going to be next year or the next year. But we're talking about a lot of money flowing through group breaking. Yes, people will care at some point if you're dodging taxes, if you're doing illegal raffles, if it's not legal to even begin with doing, if group breaking's illegal and the process of doing that is illegal, someone will care much more important than some idiot sitting in his apartment recording a podcast. Somebody will care because that's millions and millions of dollars in sales that they're doing. Not profits. None of these guys have millions of dollars in their bank account. Trust me. None of them do. But add them all up and we're talking millions and millions of dollars in sales. So yeah, it does matter. Believe me, it does. Tops, we got more more quotes from Tops. We get about three out 3,000 orders a week and we send 4,000. And mind you, they said this at the industry summit in, in front of sports card shops who might not even do 3,000 uh, sales in a month, certainly. And they're getting that in a week and they're bragging about it front of a bunch of people that probably had a bad year (laughs) tops we're taking steps to be more transparent with weekly updates oh my god what a great idea tops six months ago was bad it's not perfect yet we're definitely getting there slowly wow yeah take your time tops and if six months ago was bad even 12 months ago must have been something we can't even mention on the show Tops, 30 days out is tough for a checklist. Making changes up until day of packout. Yeah, and I don't know why everybody wants, I want a checklist 30 days out. I want a checklist a week before. Just wait on the checklist. Trust me. I asked about this years ago at the industry summit and got a very, very candid answer from the guy, some guy that worked at Upper Deck. Some of the low end stuff, Tops opening day, even like a top series one, stuff like that. Yeah, I could see maybe getting a checklist, certainly of the insert cards and the base cards a little bit sooner. But the autograph cards, no. And the companies used to put out kind of initial checklists and then that kind of floated out there. And the problem is, is that kind of what ends up happening is that ends up being kind of one of the more sourced upon links. So Google kind of recognized that as the checklist. So once the set comes out, everybody goes to this temporary one and it creates a lot of confusion. I think if the product is live and there's no checklist, then complain or maybe a day before, because certainly they got to know by then because it's already shipped or three days before or the week of, but don't ask for a checklist more than four or five days before a product's supposed to come out. Because I've seen it where a product was supposed to come out in four or five days and then it got pushed back two months. They're adjusting the products until the day it gets sent out. Guy, Jay, The James Worthy autographs will come in. Oh, we got to get these in there. 
or the the printer printed out some cards and they got dinged on the way out or they didn't come out exactly or the NBA rejected them right at the last minute or whatever. So they're making changes all the way to the end. So don't ask for a checklist more than a couple days. You look like an idiot if you're asking for a checklist more than a couple days before a product is scheduled to come out. Just just wait. Totally understand. If a product's out and it's being bought and it's on eBay, then you can complain. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Now you're just looking at laziness or not a good job at execution. And that's about it. But the one thing that I wanted um, to cover on the industry summit is there was some rumblings right at the end. This was tried to, I think was trying to, they tried to do this right at the end and not put a lot of, uh, you know, pub behind it. Um, but there was talk about charging group breakers a different price, charging group breakers a higher price than if you had like a brick and mortar shop. So it kind of encouraged you because I could see owning a brick and mortar shop and just buying it brick and mortar price and then group breaking it. I don't think it's going to be a big price difference. Like you're probably looking at 10% or 15%, which, you know, it's a little, you know, on the $100, $200 product might be a little bit, a little bit of money. But on the lower end stuff, it's not going to be like 165 and the other one's 100 You know, I don't think it's going to be that big of a gap. They're not going to, if it's 10% of your sales, you're not going to want to drive that away. Um, but it was kind of a massage. I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I think that was just kind of like a massage to the old school dealers still left in this hobby that aren't group breaking or doing that to kind of supplement their income. But thought that was interesting. So group breakers out there, you know, I mean, it's just everywhere you turn. This is why, you know, I it's it might be a way to make a little money, but you're always going to be fighting an uphill battle. In a couple years, you'll 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 have to deal with price increases, or you'll have to deal with pushback from hobby shops, or pushback from retail establishments, or pushback from kind of legalities of things. The bigger and bigger you get, the more pressure and and stuff that will happen on your business. And most people should be smart enough to to understand that and to plan for that. I mean, I don't think the margins are big enough to really sustain that over the long term. But that's just my opinion anyways and not that it matters but uh, that's about it for today folks i don't really have a whole lot else to talk about um yeah that's it so thanks for tuning in we'll um again like i said i got married and and moved and stuff and and so i'm not gonna um while i'm married and I do have, I'll probably have slightly more, believe it or not, more free time, at least in the next year or two, where I'm not doing a whole lot. Um, and so I'll be able to do these podcasts, hopefully as regularly or or maybe more regularly than I have in the past, but at least once, twice, three times a month, you know, somewhere in that range. Um, definitely keep doing these, um, at least for the time being. So uh, I still get a lot of feedback. I have emails that I haven't responded to, and I'll try to get back to people um, this week on that because I've, I've just finally settled in here. And uh, so that's about it. So I'm really looking forward to this Panini Rewards. Not that I'm going to be out there buying a bunch of this stuff up and on there waiting for Kobe's to be uploaded or playing that kind of dance and that kind of game. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how collectors react and, and see how people people that do really care and people that do spend a lot of money on this, all, I'm interested to see how that all works out. But until then, hopefully everything is going well in your world and in your life. 
Enjoy the baseball season. We are out of here.